Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. The Real Recovery Podcast. Our guest today is Stephen Probst. Steve is an active voice on radio, television, and in print. His Mind Over Mood column appears regularly in Bipolar Magazine. Steve is also a conference speaker and a consultant to families and patients who seek to successfully confront mental illness and have meaningful lives. Steve is chair of the DBSA Board of Directors, president of DBSA Metro Atlanta, and holds an MBA from Michigan State University. Welcome, Steve. Hello, it's great to be here with you. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, today we're talking about uh, mental illness and stigma, a topic that you'll be discussing during the 2008 DBSA National Conference in North Polk, Virginia. I thought it would be nice uh, to start by telling our listeners about the talk that you have planned. Uh, what should attendees expect to learn and walk away from, with, uh, from your, your talk a little bit? Okay. Well, if you live with a mood disorder like I do, I have bipolar disorder, or if you're a family member or a friend of uh, someone who lives with a mood disorder, there is a major issue that all of us face, and that's stigma. Uh, a Surgeon General's report several years ago said that uh, stigma results in outright discrimination and abuse, and more tragically, it deprives people of their dignity and interferes with their full participation in society. So that's a fairly drastic impact that stigma can have. But there's good news. Stigma, while it's a force to be reckoned with, you can learn to stamp it out and in doing so, uh, revolutionize your recovery. So that's what the session is going to be about. Okay. Well, very, very interesting. And um, I guess for, for folks that aren't familiar with the concept of stigma, I'd like to get your definition of the term. Uh, what does it mean to you? How do you, how do you define the word stigma? Well, interestingly, if you go back to its origin, uh, a stigma used to be like a physical mark of shame, almost like a tattoo or a brand, like uh, Hester and the Scarlet Letter, who had to wear the letter A uh, as a mark of shame. But today, when you talk about stigma, I would say you're talking about any attempt to label a particular group of people as being tainted or discounted or less worthy of respect. Uh, For example, as I mentioned, I have bipolar disorder. But if you negatively label me and then you apply hurtful or harmful stereotypes to me just because of that condition, that's where stigma comes into play. So when you reduce someone to a diagnosis and you stop seeing the unique human being inside, that stigma and its impact uh, can be overwhelming. And, And don't underestimate the extent to which stigma still exists today. In fact, at the session, I'm going to tell the audience where in this country people are still literally marked as being mentally ill. Believe it or not, that that still exists. And uh, I believe uh, that would be uh, some interesting um, information for attendees at the conference. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you're talking about uh, stigma in various regions of the country and and nationwide. Are there some myths or widely held misconceptions um, that are almost universal about mental mental illness that could perpetuate stigma in our culture? Uh, Can we maybe put some of those? Well, there are a lot of myths and misunderstandings and misperceptions that exist, um, all of which sort of fuel stigma. For example, 
disorder is all in your head. Mm. Well, that's a total myth because it's actually in your brain. It, it, like depression, is a biological organic condition just like if a person had cancer or diabetes. But if you presume that bipolar disorder is just, quote, in a person's head, you're more apt to stigmatize that person and say that he just needs to get over it or stop being lazy, and you really discount the fact that that person is dealing with a very real illness. Mm. Another big misperception is thinking that only a few Americans are impacted by illnesses like mood disorders. The reality is that one in five Americans are affected by mental illness, and that's a ton of folks. But unfortunately, in large part due to stigma, as many as two-thirds of those folks will not seek treatment. Uh, they simply don't want to be labeled as having a mental illness. The stigma becomes a barrier to treatment. Exactly. But, you know, uh, one of the phrases I think we've already used in our conversation um, is stigma busting, or maybe stamping out stigma. Right. Uh, what phrases like this mean? Well, you know, if I had had a choice, I would love to have called the session a simple way to eliminate stigma forever. But getting rid of stigma doesn't take place overnight. And although it's not entirely simple, there are specific steps that people can take. Um, I think stigma can be dealt with head on, and all of us play a vital role in ultimately sort of eradicating it. Uh, but learning to combat stigma makes sense because the costs are so great. Uh, for example, stigma definitely leads to discrimination, which could mean a person not getting the job they want or the home they want. In fact, uh, unbelievably, I think, and in large part due to stigma, the unemployment rate among people with persistent serious uh, mental illness is 90%, which is far higher than the 50% rate among people that have physical disabilities. So what that means is only 10% of people who have illnesses like bipolar disorder who want to work and who are able to work actually are working. And to me, that's a real shame. And also, as we mentioned, um, stigma keeps people who are struggling uh, with symptoms of a mood disorder from seeking help in the first place. I think you just mentioned that. And that's despite the fact that the vast majority of folks who seek treatment actually experience significant recovery. So, And even when people do seek help, then stigma becomes largely responsible for inadequate insurance coverage that they'll find. So the costs are great both to individuals, their families, and society as a whole. And that's why I think we have to kind of collectively work together to stamp out stigma. And it takes time and effort, but I believe it's worthwhile and it can definitely be done. Yes, certainly. Uh, you know, I think that we're talking about taking a hands-on approach. Um, uh, so that stamping out stigma, does this concept, um, how does that translate? And, uh, what do we mean by taking a hands-on approach? Well, whenever I talk to a group of people about any subject, um, I try to make it very simple and hands-on because... Uh, first of all, if it weren't simple and hands-on, I wouldn't have been able to make it work for me. So I want to, to I want it to be a situation where other people can grab hold of the concept and make it work for them. So there are simple steps that all of us can follow, in fact, every day, to help ultimately eliminate stigma and, as I mentioned, the cost associated with it. So taking a hands-on approach, in my mind, just means that you don't sit back and accept that things are the way they are and you can't do anything about it. Uh, because, as I said, stigma is not just going to go away. So if you take this situation seriously and take action to help stop it, you're not only benefiting your recovery but the recovery of many of your peers and ultimately your 
benefiting society at large. A simple example is like in the support groups that I lead. A person, in fact, I'll be leading one tonight, and I suspect this will happen tonight. A person, usually a person who's never attended the group before, because once I do this, they don't tend to say it again, but they'll say something in introducing themselves like, hello, my name is Mike, and I have bipolar disorder. I mean, they'll, they'll say, my name is Mike, and I'm bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I'll correct them, and I'll say, no, you have bipolar disorder. It sounds like a picky distinction, but it's an important one, because I want that person to realize right then and there that an illness doesn't define the unique human being that they are. It's a condition you deal with, not who you are. And that's what I mean by just a simple hands-on approach. And you can also take a few minutes and write a letter to a newspaper about something that you saw that was inappropriately said or done, or uh, go to the DBSA Legislative Action Center and email a lawmaker about a matter of importance to you. It's reaching out. Exactly. Reaching out ultimately makes a difference. Doing nothing sort of maintains the status quo. And I have to tell you that I think stigma is still rampant. And while we've made some strides towards reducing it, it's still a, a force to be reckoned with. Certainly is. And, you know, I think a part of that, too, we're dealing with different audiences. Uh, when we're talking about stigma, you, you mentioned reaching out to say, back to play, uh, but folks are also on a, on a big radio level reaching out and working with family, uh, employers, and friends to try to reduce stigma or to confront stigma. So I wonder if uh, these different audiences or different groups require a different approach. Well, it's very sad and unfortunate to me that all too often stigma sort of creates a barrier between a person who lives with a mood disorder and the very people who are best equipped to help that person and support his recovery. But, you know, there's a learning curve at play, and it takes people a long time to get educated about these illnesses and to really understand how to offer constructive support. And so it's okay to confront stigmatizing words and actions, but you need to do it lovingly. You don't want to end up alienating, you know, the very people who can be there for you. Uh, Years ago when folks were just learning about my diagnosis, a a friend, a family friend, uh, said that I was... I remember specifically the words they used. They said, I was too smart to have a mental illness. Mm. Now, to me, that was a very hurtful comment because it suggested that I could have avoided the illness by using my intellect, and I only wish I had been that smart. Mm. But that type of comment is born of ignorance. But the good news is you can fix ignorance. Mm. And so at that moment when that comment was made, I had the chance to either get mad at the person and, uh, you know, sort of brush them off or to take that opportunity to help educate them. And fortunately, I chose the latter approach, and to this day, they're very supportive of me. So we're going to give a lot more examples like that during the session. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, a situation where you're dealing with somebody that you're close with, a friend or a family member. I think it's, it's a different uh, when you move into the realm of, say, an employer, uh, and dealing with somebody that's not as informal a relationship, well, I think I think you still need to package it appropriately how you handle that situation, but at the same time, you also, in that scenario, have to take into account what's at play. So it helps to know things like what is that employer's history in terms of mood disorders. If they already have a positive history in terms of how they've accommodated people, then maybe you don't have 
as much to worry about. But if that's not the case, you kind of have to be careful about how you broach the subject because, again, you may be dealing with someone that just doesn't know that much about it. And so their reaction may not be specifically a reaction to you. It may be a reaction to just something they don't know anything about. Regardless of the audience, it does sound like you're playing an educator role. You're educating somebody. Oh, of course. It's all about education. If the, if the general public and society at large were fully educated about uh, mental illness, mood disorders, and so forth, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Exactly. Because there wouldn't be anything called stigma to still contend with. I, you know, I, I think one of the you know, interesting things that you're, you're suggesting and, and I think you'll be addressing in your report uh, is your therapeutic value of overcoming stigma and uh, the, the role it plays in bolstering the recovery. Could you talk a little bit about that idea? Well, as we've already mentioned, if stigma can actually keep a person from seeking help in the first place, which it plays a large role in doing just that. Uh, if you learn how not to succumb to stigma's impact, and uh, that alone bolsters recovery because you end up seeking help and achieving wellness, um, it, or certainly achieving wellness becomes far more likely. And then as you continue to learn how to handle stigma, because it's not a matter at this point of it not existing. It does exist. So the issue becomes how do I handle it and how do I confront it? In doing that, you become more and more empowered, and you feel more confident opening up to other people, uh, reaching out for the type of support you need, and moving on with your life. So the more you learn to stamp out stigma, the more your recovery benefits. And at the same time, you're making not only a positive difference in your own life, but in the lives of many of your peers and for society as a whole. So it's a win-win-win situation. And during the session, at the conference, I'm going to give folks specific steps that they can follow to help cope with stigma and bring about its end. They're not difficult steps. They're things that anyone can do, but they do make a difference not only in your recovery but in your life as a whole. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that uh, you know, we talked about educating others, but the process of educating yourself, um, in order to be able to go out and stamp out stigma, you have to arm yourself with knowledge that can only most of your confidence and make you feel without your own internal self-signifying Well, i got to tell you that negative self-talk, not only about stigma, but negative self-talk in general can literally sabotage a person's recovery. In fact, in my experience in dealing with folks uh, and in my own experience, I think that how you see a situation can become more disabling than the condition itself. So that's something I've had to really struggle with in my own life, and I realized at one point that my own worst enemy when it came to how I saw myself was me. And I was seeing myself as a person who was sick, never going to get better, no hope of recovery, and I had to change that kind of uh, really destructive thinking. So as that applies to stigma, I think, you know, it's the same as in dealing with negative self-talk in general. There's basically a three-step process, and it's, it's simple. I mean, you've got to face the facts and learn all you can. And when you attend the conference, like the one DBSA is offering in Norfolk, it's a wonderful way to sort of gain fresh insight about mood disorders. Your thinking is going to be challenged, um, and that's a good thing. And then as you gain knowledge, secondly, uh, you begin to change your perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, at this session, I have an agenda, and I, I want to change the way people see stigma and their ability to face it. And then third, after you get educated, your perspective 
shifts, then you can translate that into actually taking action. So I want people to be able to leave the session with a hands-on insight as to what they can do to make life better for themselves and other people. And i got to tell you again, negative self-talk is very, very dangerous. Uh, it in, in, in my experience and in the experience I've had in working with other people, you know, it increases fear and anxiety and distrust and anger, all the things that steer us away from recovery. And a person can actually become incredibly hopeless with mm-hmm. negative self-talk. So it can really do a number on your uh, self-esteem. And stigma only makes all of that worse. So that's why having a session to come to understand stigma and its impact and what you can do to handle it is, is so important. And I think the, the stigma that you receive or the, um, the negative messages that you might receive from other people, if, if you're not combating the stigma, you, you can internalize those things and just feed down your own. So it's important to, to recognize your own negative self-talk, but that the others are, are imposing upon you. Yeah, it, it, otherwise it becomes a vicious cycle. Right. So you really have to do both. Right. But right. when you stop internalizing it yourself and you clear your thinking and you change your perspective for the better, that instantly helps you. But then you are infinitely better equipped to help other people. Right. So that's why you can take a losing proposition and turn it into a win-win-win situation. Yeah, it was incredibly interesting and fascinating, and I, I know that the folks that join us in Norfolk will enjoy the session and take a lot home with them. Um, are there any other um, thoughts or closing comments you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, no matter what I talk about, whether it's stigma or back when I used to be in the restaurant business, I would talk to the wait staff about a situation, and it's always my message is how you see a situation matters. Because how you see something affects your thinking, and that in turn affects your behavior, and ultimately the choices you make, the actions you take. So if you see stigma as a horrible force about which you can do nothing, that definitely negatively impacts your recovery. But if you can come to see stigma in a different light, which I think will happen in this session, doesn't take months to change someone's perspective. Sometimes it can happen in an hour session. Um, When your thinking change, you come to see that stigma is manageable and that you can actually take steps to help stamp it out and in doing so, sort of revolutionize your recovery. So I think it'll be a fascinating session. But to attend the session, you've got to attend the conference. And the conference, in my mind, having been to many of them in the past, is a wonderful opportunity to get educated, to get empowered, to get energized about your life and how you can experience recovery to the fullest extent possible. So I hope everyone that hears this podcast will be physically present in Norfolk for the conference.
been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.